Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. And welcome to these bonus episodes of Wine School Dropout. It's the summer, and while we're out of school, per se, we at Wine School Dropout want to share a summer in wine with you. In this mini-season, you'll hear about some cool things happening in the wine world. Think of this a little like summer school, and we're back in session. Enjoy. Natalie McLean is the host of Unreserved Wine Talk and was selected as one of the best drinks podcasts by the New York Times. And she offers popular online wine and fruit pairing courses at www.nataliemcclain.com. Both of her books, Red, White, and Drunk All Over, A Wine-Soaked Journey from Grape to Glass, which is actually one of the first wine books I read when I was starting on my journey, and also Unquenchable, a tipsy quest for the world's best bargain bottles, were chosen as Amazon's best books of the year. Natalie has many accolades, named World's Best Drinks Journalist at the Food Media Awards, won four James Beard Foundation Journalism Awards. She's the only person to have won both the MFK Fisher Distinguished Writing Award from James Beard and the MFK Fisher Award for Excellence in Culinary Writing from La Dame de Scoffier International. I gotta admit, I fangirled a little bit in the beginning, but then we started talking about wine and tech, and my two worlds collided. I settled into a groove. You know I can talk about those subjects all day long. I pulled myself together to bring you this conversation with Natalie McClain. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I'm fine, Tanisha. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to me for my podcast. For the people who don't know who you are, you can give us a, a quick introduction of yourself. Well, I've been writing about wine for about 20 years, so I'm of a, an older vintage, um, but still, you know, aging well, I hope. <laughs> but um, I was in the high tech world before I got into wine, and um, I would have never thought that they would overlap, but magically they did. The head office of the company that I worked for was in Mountain View, California. It's now the campus of Google. It was a computer, supercomputer company. And so I started making my weekend jaunts up to Napa and Sonoma and got a real taste for wine. Um, so they started to meld together at that point. But it wasn't, uh, as I say, until I went on maternity leave that I was in a sleep deprived state to think that I should start writing about wine. And uh, I always joke with my son, yes, you drove me to drink. <laughs> But he knows, he knows that I'm not, uh, 
serious. But um, anyway, so while on mat leave, I pitched a story, Wine on the Internet, which 20 years ago was real news. They took that and it went from there. I started uh, writing about wine regularly, did not go back to my high tech job and have loved it ever since. Okay, I love that, which is a great segue into what we're going to be talking about, how wine and tech go together. So it's interesting that you started off in tech since I started off in tech as well. So we definitely have in common. So when you first started writing and, you know, not quite sure if you were going to leave tech or what was going to come of it, did you already kind of think that it could match together or it could meld together? Or were you just like, you know what, I just want to do this. Let's do it. First of all, I was drawn to wine itself. I, I didn't even like beer, whiskey, anything growing up. Um, So it wasn't until my late 20s that I actually got into wine after I graduated from an MBA program, finally had some money. And so (laughs) exactly. And the fact I couldn't cook. So my then husband and I would go out to restaurants all the time, which I absolutely loved. And wine was very much a part of that experience. So, so first came the love of wine. Uh, then came, well, I've always had a love of writing, just not the confidence to think I could actually earn a living writing. So I got practical, got the MBA, had a mother who said, make sure you're always financially independent because you never know. Uh, So I did all of that, went into marketing and high tech. So anyway, once I um, went off on maternity leave and, and just thought, well, I need to keep my brain alive. I'll pitch this article. And that went well. I started to think, yes, I think there are more intersections between wine and tech than just, okay, who's selling wine online right now? I do think that these two worlds seemingly opposite, you know, you'll know, Tanisha, in the tech world, it's fail forward fast, like make mistakes, you know, correct and iterate. And in the wine world, it's like, let's make changes every thousand years. So, <laughs> so you funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you think, oh my gosh, could you get two more different worlds? But I think the Ben setter, the intersection is fascinating. When you can take an old world culture product and give it the support of new technology, that's where the magic is. And, and we've seen it, you know, online, social media, podcasts, everything else where people are learning about wine, online courses like those I teach. It's just an explosive growth in how people learn about and buy wine and all, all other facets of their wine appreciation and education are being assisted these days by technology. It's, it's really, I love the pairing. I want to put a pin in that, uh, the online wine class, because I want to get back to that. You mentioned your first article was about wine and the internet, and you said that was some years ago. (laughs) Based on what you wrote then and the ideas and thoughts then, how do you think things have or have not changed as far as wine and the internet today? So many things have changed. So back then, websites were pretty much brochureware. So let's take the little pamphlet we have about our winery and just slap it online. And so back then, it was very much, you know, reading about a winery, reading about a wine. And what's evolved since then, of course, is a lot of online commerce and people feeling secure enough to buy wine online. Um, secure enough to to learn about wine online through courses and so on, or thinking that it's even doable. So that has changed the evolution, using the tools more effectively and productively. You know, you go back to when television became popular, but at first, television shows were just adaptations of radio shows. So you get this 
all they did is took the old medium and sort of plunked it on the top of the new technology, not really using the new technology to its fullest potential. But of course that comes with time and you learn the strengths and unique features and abilities of the new technology before you, I think, make full use of it. So that, that happened with wine on the internet, for sure. I think uh, wine lovers, wineries, and so on need to make sure that the, even with the new technology, that it's still an interactive conversation, that you're not, you know, you don't lose track of that. The old world of visiting the tasting room and having those deep connections you can do some of that online if you if you use the technology in the right way. I totally agree. And I also, I truly believe that, I mean, COVID, yes, it was terrible, is, and it's still wreaking havoc on um, places and things like that. But some of the things that it's done for technology and forcing people to appreciate it, implement it, adapt to it, I think yes. that is something that has really accelerated due to it. Um, it has. It has. It's like a forcing function where I think, you know, it's brought the future forward 10 years, at least, especially in, in the wine world where I, it just would not have happened without COVID. And I agree with you. COVID is is bad in so many ways, but there are some bright spots in terms of the changes it encouraged. And people got through that mind block of, yeah, I can buy wine online safely. I can learn about it in a class, you know, all of this sort of thing. And now I hope that will continue to have sort of a hybrid so that wineries or courses, whatever, will continue to offer the online option because there's just so many advantages for people who can't travel, mobility issues and so on. I hope they don't abandon the online because they've already invested the learning, the time, the infrastructure, the funds. And I hope we go forward with a hybrid of in-person and online in the future. Absolutely. It has made it more, um, it's nice to have so many things accessible and available to you that weren't available before. And exactly. the two biggest things that I think of are thinking about buying wine itself and then being able to learn about wine. It's not like I'm just reading a book about wine online. There are actually classes that exist that you can take, they can teach you things about wine. Yes. Which leads me into <laughs> some online food and wine pairing classes. I know you do other classes besides just food and wine pairing, but that's one of your big uh, and popular ones. Two questions. Why do you think that's like your most popular? And then also what kind of things do you cover in there? So I think food is far less intimidating than wine. So we don't need any vintage charts to choose our cantaloupes or we don't care much you know, what we, we're starting to care more and more where the food is grown, of course, but it just doesn't get into that complexity of wine and, and all of the appellations and the years and aging and all the rest of it. So I think I've found when I start with the food first, people are less intimidated. So let's start with a dish you love, whether it's roast chicken or whatever. And then let's, from there, find a wine to pair with it people find it so much more approachable and accessible and practical because that's the question most people have when they open a bottle. I mean, it's always nice to enjoy wine on its own, but you know, you're usually opening it with dinner, with friends. And so those pairings do come into play. And that's why I think that that topic is the most popular. It's the one I focus on. There are so many different pairings that we cover in my course, you know, from a spicy, hot dishes to vegetarian, to seafood, to your different grilled meats and 
definitely cheeses is a whole other world there. <laughs> but I think that's that's where the passion is and the practicality and the, the pure hedonism, because I do think that, you know, you, you can have a wonderful wine on its own and a dish that you love, but when you combine them, there's some sort of magic that happens in your mouth when, when it works that you could not have if you were just drinking the wine, just eating the food and you don't satiate so quickly, you go back to the wine, you go to the food, you go back to the, even if it's champagne and potato chips. I mean, you know, I, I can eat a whole bag of chips that way. <laughs> if I, I have really a eat the whole bag that way. Yeah, exactly. You're my kind of woman, Tanisha. So for so many reasons, I think that's why food and wine pairing really draws people. My course uh, specifically is called the Get Wine Smart course, a full-bodied framework to pair, buy, and taste wine like a pro. So, and the real emphasis on, is on the pairing. And also the thing is, it's something that people don't feel excluded from. Sometimes people can yeah. feel excluded from some wine courses because they're like, oh, well, this wine is too expensive or I can't necessarily find this wine because you're talking about this region. But yes. with food and wine pairing, literally everybody eats. Like we all exactly. eat. <laughs> so exactly. can think about, okay, you don't eat meat. All right, then vegetarian. Okay, you eat cheese, you eat, you know, you eat. So there yes. is something in it for everyone and it is very uh, approachable. Absolutely. And even the wines themselves, Tanisha, like I recommend wines at different price ranges and that you can find locally no matter where you live. And that's why I do have students you know, from all over the world. A lot of them are in North America, but, you know, I still, you know, the Netherlands, Brazil, Australia, you know, even some in France. And so, because I try to make the wines very easy to find in your local liquor stores, and that is important to people, but it's easy to do. But if you're in a, sitting in a physical class, you're going to get the wines that the professor has poured, which may or may not be to your liking. Or you could ever find again. I mean, you just- Yeah, exactly. You know, That's true. Yes. What has surprised you about teaching these courses, whether it's a pairing that you found or something about teaching, learning, or even just mm. something with your students? What surprised you with these courses? It's kind of like some of the same surprises I got from writing the, the two books that I wrote. It's how people use it, use the course or, you know, what they make of it. Because as a creator and even a course instructor, guide, whatever, you have a vision in mind for what you've produced, but your students are going to make of it what they want. I've had a lot of couples, husband, wife, 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 husband, husband, uh, treat it like date night. So they'll take my course. Yeah. And they'll do it together. And they only have to pay the one course fee. So mm -hmm. I'm not regulating that for sure. Right. Um, but they can't do that with a physical course. And, you know, for those with children, they're not trying to find parking and a babysitter and so on. So they love the flexibility of it. And then another few people have told me that they bring over friends and stream my course because all of the videos are also recorded. You can go at your own pace. You got lifetime access and all that. Okay. Plus I do live tastings. So mm -hmm. they'll take the recorded tastings and stream them up on a big screen or their television or even setting an iPad on a dining room table and use it as a guided tasting where they'll stop and start the video and all the friends are tasting this, the wines that they brought together and commenting. And then they'll, you know, press play again and get me to 
yabber on and, and then stop again, taste and comment. So I, I just found that interesting because those were use cases I hadn't even thought of when I created the course because, you know, I just wasn't thinking that way. So those are pleasant surprises. I love how people use the course to suit them. I love the, the group that we've created with, with these online courses. That's the cool thing, because maybe just in your own town, your own city, you wouldn't be able to find this community or always be able to get there due to timing and whatever, whatever. Yes. But with it being online or with things now being online, you have access to it whenever, wherever you can take it with you. Like, okay, I can watch it here in France. Or, you know, if I go somewhere else and, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know what, let me check out this before I go to dinner. Let me check this out. one module out right quick. Maybe it'll help me out before I get to dinner. That is something that, uh, yeah, that I love about how things are now moving online and it's becoming a lot more popular. And also even logistically for us, us being wine educators, uh, we don't have to find a physical location to rent out and have this space like, okay, we need a space for 10 people. Okay, this time 15 people. Let's set up all the glasses. Let's get all the paper. Let's have everything set up. We don't have to do that. All exactly. we have to do is put on some lipstick and a shirt. <laughs> yes. Yep. Comb our hair a little and we could do it. I love that intersection of uh, the online classes with uh, wine. Now, this is one question that I'm just kind of going to throw at you since we're talking tech. What is something, we mentioned buying wine online and then online classes. What is some other wine technology that you'd heard of recently that you're kind of fascinated by or really interested in? Well, you know, we were talking about this, Tanisha, on, on uh, Unreserved Wine Talk, my podcast, because you have such a great background in tech. And artificial intelligence definitely mm -hmm. intrigues me. How they're using AI to maybe detect fraud and fakes in wine or to enhance the wine experience. Gosh knows where they're going to go with this. Like if it's going to be virtual reality, I'm not sure if that'll work or not, but who knows. Um, but just the explosion of, of technology, new technologies, I am excited to see where that goes, including non-fungible tokens, you know, NFTs. Yes. I can't wait to see how those technologies are used in the world of wine. And I think it could be a real service to reduce the number of fakes and fraud, fraudulent bottles, especially mm -hmm. for collectors, more expensive wines, but even, you know, uh, everyday wines, because, you know, fakes and frauds hurt, hurt the business. So I think there is just some remarkable possibilities ahead. I'm still yeah. trying to come up to speed on really getting a handle and understanding NFT. Yes. What that means and how it can be used in the wine industry. And then also yeah. um, some of the AI technology. I actually drank a bottle of wine over the weekend and it has an app that you can download and then you, you know, hold it over the bottle and then like the bottle, the label comes alive. It's things climbing off the front of the label and things <laughs> are moving around. And then if you turn it to the back label, then it gives you an option of uh, tasting notes, food and wine pairings um, and just other fun information. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is kind of cool. I like yeah. this aspect of it. Yeah, I think that would be interesting, even, you know, if you're at dinner with friends or at a restaurant, like being able to do that and get some backstory on the wine might be a good conversation starter. And it also gives the consumer the option to, like the information is in their hands. They don't yes. have to feel like I have to ask this or I need to yes. do some Google searches or how can I figure this out? This gives them all the information that they need so they can do 
whatever they want with it. Same with, you know, your online classes, same with the smart label. You have the information available to you now. Now yes. you can do with it what you want. And I think people really like having the access, the availability, and just to decide on their own, okay, how do I want to engage with this? When do I want to engage with it? And being able to do so on their own time. Absolutely. And that that was exactly my motivation for launching mobile apps. They're not AI, but they do scan the front label and it gives you immediate access to my reviews and other reviews on, on the app, or you can scan the back barcode. So it's got two readers on it. One's um, optical label and the other is barcode reader. And people just find that so helpful because I think, again, going back to the stigma of wine, no one wants to ask a question. They don't know what to ask the sommelier or the wine liquor store staff. They want to seem silly or stupid or not knowing, but, you know, that's ability to just scan and get all the info on that wine, um, you know, food pairings, tasting notes, other wines that are like this, um, real-time inventory and stock in your liquor store, you know, put it in your virtual cellar, all of that we've, we've bundled into the mobile apps that we have. But again, it's to put, it's to be your pocket sommelier to put the power in your hands and not to have to ask, even though I think asking liquor store staff and sommeliers is one of the best things you can do. And again, if you can merge that technology with the yes. human interaction, that's a sweet spot. Yes. If they can come up to you, you know, they have the app on their phone and they're like, okay, so I just found out this. And they can talk to um, someone from the staff to ask a couple of questions based on information that they've gotten. That's also a fantastic thing. And again, makes them feel a lot more comfortable too. Exactly. Being able to arm people with at least a few words that they can use to speak to the sommelier or speak to, you know, the wine shop, uh, yes. things like that. Absolutely. So with your mobile wine app, one, what is the name of it? Can you tell us all? Sure. Um, it's just under my name. So if you search okay. um, the uh, Apple store or um, Android, so it's for both platforms under my name, Natalie McLean, uh, wine reviews, but even just my name will bring it up. That's how you'll find it. It's free. And yeah, you can download it and you've got all these different features, shopping lists, wish lists, your personal seller, all the rest of it. You can do all of that within, within the app. So you are a very busy woman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm an insomniac. <laughs> right, so you're yeah. writing articles, you're doing <laughs> online wine courses, you have an app. Your podcast, Unreserved Wine Talk, was selected as one of the best drinks podcasts by the New York Times. Yes. Tell us uh, a little bit about your podcast, how you started that. Sure, <laughs> I started it in uh, late 2018, so... I thought I was late to the game, but this, as you know, Tanisha, the podcasts are just exploding. And I absolutely love podcasts as a medium. I always listen to podcasts and I toyed around with it in, back in 2008, but I just didn't really get onto the RSS feed, you know, actually launching it into um, Apple and uh, the App Store. So I guess, you know, even pre, I'm, I'm going to sound ancient again, but before <laughs> podcasts, I would listen to satellite radio. And at night, and I would hear the BBC blow in and out over the Atlantic, depending on the weather patterns. And I just have always loved radio. To, to me, the voice is um, so expressive. And when you're just listening to someone's voice, it, you really activate the theater of your mind. And it's intimate where, you know, our voices are only millimeters away from your, your brain. Absolutely, yes. 
and it's just it's this you know you get the emotion and the inflections and and so on that you won't get just by reading text and yet i think there's a lot more engagement than say watching the visuals so you know all of that drew me to to creating a podcast and then what keeps me going is interviewing interesting people like you. I love digging into your story and uh, and then exploring as we did, you know, the Paris wine bars and all of that. And your, but also your backstory of how you got there, because I think what we're most interested in it as human beings is stories, people's stories. How did they get there? And how does potentially my story as a listener relate to what I'm to the person I'm listening to? being interviewed like what can I take away whether it's learning about wine or perhaps they made some decisions some life decisions maybe I can learn from that or maybe I'm even thinking of getting into a wine career so you know there's all sorts of reasons but I think it's that fundamental love of of listening to stories that brought me to podcasts and keeps me going with them the thing about podcasting too that's different, especially when you're doing an interview style like how uh, we're doing now, the the story can change. It's not like if you're writing, you just okay, you know what you're writing about. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it has to follow this certain path. But when you're talking, when you're having a conversation, it can go in different directions, yes. but it still all makes sense. You can uncover some new things, then go down a, another rabbit hole, so to speak, and then come back and then go down another one. But it all makes sense. And people are still fully engaged. And it's like you're eavesdropping too, sometimes. Yes. Like, you know, I love it when I can listen to someone that I'd never get to talk to, you know, on somebody else's podcast, but I'm sort of like a fly on the wall, listening to these two people. So interesting. And um, I feel like I've, you know, sat down with them personally. Um, so I love that. And also you just have a great voice. Like your oh, speaking you. voice is just great. So it's not like, you know, sometimes you'll hear some things you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to listen to that too long. But no, your <laughs> voice is fantastic for podcasting. Thank you. Thank you. Did you find that it was kind of a, a nice natural progression from writing articles, going into podcasting? Yeah, because the signature throughout is storytelling. So whether it's the books, the magazine articles, podcasts, even in the online courses, you know, I'm trying to tell stories to, because that's what we remember. That's, you know, a list of facts no one's going to remember that or going to be hard pressed unless you're studying for a professional certification. But if you can embed this, the learning on a story, the mind will remember that, you know, I'll, I'll always remember, you know, Madame Veuve Clicquot from Champagne invented riddling. She, you know, drilled the holes in her kitchen table and what was riddling all about to disgorge the, you know, the, uh, the sediment. But it's in my mind, it's hung on that story as opposed to what is riddling what are the processes? You know, here are the 36 steps. I remember it more when they're embedded in stories. Stories and also visuals. So for yes. me, it's all, can you show me a picture of something? Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have a little video of this? And by video, that can mean you just put a bunch of pictures together and sure. set it on a timer through some music in the background. Then like, I'll remember it. Cause like yes. you said, riddling, it really stuck for me when I visited Champagne. Yes. And saw the um, saw the bottles there and you can touch them and you can play and twist them, you know, yourself. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're not going fast enough. You know, the, the master riddler used to, to riddle 700 bottles every hour. I'm like, what? 
carpal tunnel. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm gonna blow my wrist out at the first week. Like I'm done. Like I'm fired. Yeah. Is there, workers, is there workers comp for this? <laughs> <laughs> no, you just get more champagne. <laughs> okay. And then you won't yeah. even know it dulls the pain. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but back to unreserved wine talk, where you interview various guests about various wine topics and tell stories and things like that. Do you have some favorite guests that you've interviewed? Hmm. Yes. Um, well, first you would be top of the list, Anisha, of course. Of course. Yeah. But you know all about that <laughs> interview. So we won't, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a few others. Um, so I interviewed uh, Charles Back from South Africa, winemaker there. And he's just so hilarious. I also had him in my book, Red, White and Drunk All Over. And uh, he just has such a great sense of humor and storytelling he wrapped his personal story around why he got into wine. He has this goat uh, herd and, you know, his, you might've seen his wine labels. They're rather cheeky. So he has the goat father and goats to Rome. So <laughs> he was so smart. He is so savvy. So when the French authorities um, wanted to uh, sue him for copyright infringement, he, um, took a busload of all his vineyard workers down to the French embassy in uh, Cape Town. And they presented the, the French ambassador with um, some vacuum sealed goat droppings for the French ambassador's garden. They handed him goat poop and they were singing all kinds of songs and so on. And, and then Charles says, I don't know how they heard about it, but CNN showed up. <laughs> and, you know, wink here. wink and and they started broadcasting it and it gave him so much publicity the french authorities backed off because it looked like they were being bullies uh, whether or not that was true i'm not commenting but right. but he got so much publicity and then he told me as we were talking he said uh, but it's sort of died down now that the french authorities backed off but if there's anything you could do to stir it up again i'd really appreciate it yeah, you know? stir it up it's really great. <laughs> so I, I love, I love, love, love guests like that who can share those kinds of stories. And, and uh, again, you still get the wine learning out of it. Absolutely. Now, continuing on your storytelling, you uh -huh. are going to be telling stories in a third book. Yes. Yes, yes, ma'am. So um, my first two books, if I may, uh, were more like travel adventure stories. So there was Red, White and Drunk All Over. You can see I'm how serious, yes, very serious wine book. Yes. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then second one was Unquenchable, A Tipsy Search for the World's Best Bargain Wines. So they were told in first person with stories like Charles Back. But the third book that I'm working on now is quite different in that it's a memoir and it's from One Slice of Life. It's kind of a behind the scenes look at, you know, being a woman in the world of wine. We talked on that on my podcast, but also I think some surprising insights for people who love wine and always thought, wow, what if I could make my passion, my hobby, my career and actually get paid for it? This sort of takes you into that world of what it's like, what it's really like. And, uh, you know, there's, there's ups and there's downs and, but it's, it's kind of my stories from one very eventful year of my life. And that that's going to be the basis of it, but you'll still learn about wine, I hope, and be entertained. And when, when it comes to you writing your books, how do you get the ideas to even start to say, okay, this is what I want my book to be about? Sure, I think it was an evolution from the approach I took for magazine writing. It's like, let's find someone really interesting 
usually it was a winemaker who didn't pay attention to his PR person and said things he or she probably shouldn't have said on the record and uh, was, you know, had a colorful personality, had made good wine. That was a prerequisite. Wasn't all about marketing and, and guffaws, but so had that combination like Randall Graham, and California, Bonnie Dune, um, mm -hmm. he's one such. I mean, he has experimented with so many things in winemaking. It's fascinating. Some of them were just a bit nutty, I think, but others proved to be great for the wine. So the ideas for the books come from the people. I always start with people first. Who do I want to interview? What is it about? Where are they? And then how can the various interviews and stories thread together for one sort of narrative arc, if you will, if it's a book. Now, I do want to pop back right quick because I didn't get this part when we were talking about food and wine pairings. Do you have a favorite food and wine pairing? Yes, but it's very unusual. Um, oh, so like unusual. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so in Canada, we have ketchup chips. I don't know if you have ketchup chips in Paris. No. Uh, yeah, it sounds like an abomination, I know. But I, I have a weakness for ketchup chips. And I thought they'd be really sweet and therefore a, a bone dry rosé would not work. So I thought I'm going to, I also look, I, I'm always trying bad pairings. So, so I can warn people, you know, my liver for their liver, my palate for their palate. It's all about self-sacrifice as you know, Tanisha. Um, mm -hmm. So I was trying ketchup chips with rosé and it it actually worked. The, the ketchup chips weren't as sweet as I thought. And the rosé had this sort of strawberry raspberry flavor that was a nice dovetail with the ketchup. It was weirdest thing, but it's my favorite pairing now. If you don't have access to ketchup chips, then any chips will do, I think, just about. Um, because I think rosé is one of those universal wines that can go with so many different uh, dishes. It's got the flavor of red wine, but not the heavy oak and the tannin and the alcohol. Maybe you can just get regular chips and put ketchup yeah. on them. You could, yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that would work. You could um, just get ke ketchup. Yeah, ketchup, um, I was surprised to learn, has more sugar per volume than ice cream. And that's why I was thinking the chips would be really sweet and ruin the wine. But this worked. <laughs> have some rapid fire questions for you. We did not go over these in advance because I want it rapid. <laughs> Goodness knows what you're going to get here, Tanisha. <laughs> right. But these are easy. These are easy ones. Okay. Cheese or chocolate? After Ooh, this. cheese. Cheese. Ice yes. cream or gelato? <sighs> Ice cream. Call or text? Text. Podcast series or Netflix series? Oh, that's a hard one, but I'll go with podcasts. I have to okay. be loyal. <laughs> right. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Rooftop barbecue or backyard barbecue? Oh. Like rooftop rooftop. backyard party? Roof, rooftop. Rooftop, yeah. Okay, now this one may be a little tougher. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather go without your phone for a week or without the internet for a week? Oh my, I guess I'll give up my phone because I can get online and check my email. <laughs> God, so pathetic. <laughs> you can yeah. do anything. You just have to stay home. Yeah, I just have to stay home for a week. 
That's true. Yeah, I'm an introvert, so I do that anyway. I, yeah, so just give me my internet, please. Don't take that away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, if I don't have my phone, like I use that so much for directions. Right. So like, oh, I don't know how I have it. Mm, that's a tough one. Um, but you having to go online to figure out where you were going and like write down the directions and then yes. take that paper with you and you go out and if you make a wrong turn and it's like, oh no. Yeah, where am I? <laughs> oh gosh. So I'd have to go back old school like that and write it down on the piece of paper and just walk down the street like, okay, I think it's this way. I think it's this <laughs> way. Oh, that could be adventure, an adventure. Getting lost could be a story. If you're not in a hurry. Then That's yes. true. That's true. <laughs> yes, yep. it absolutely does. <laughs> All right, Natalie, as we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to mention and share with us? I don't think so, Tanisha. Um, as you know, I'm going to offer your listeners my yes. uh, templates. So I, I just thought I'd show them. I have these uh, food and wine pairing templates. They're free for anyone who wants to get them at nataliemcleancom forward slash school in honor of your name podcast. Um, so people find these quite helpful in the kitchen or wherever they are, the, uh, the templates. And then from those who request the template, um, I'm going to pick two winners of a signed copy of these books. Both of them. Listen, you you guys, those books that you, you want them, okay? You <laughs> absolutely want them. All right. Oh, okay. Well, where can people find you online? Sure. Everything is at uh, nataliemclean.com. So that's N-A-T-A-L-I-E-M-A-C-L-E-A-N.com. So you'll find my podcast, the books, the courses, everything else, wine reviews, mobile apps. You can get links to them there as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for talking to me, talking with us at mm -hmm. Wine School Dropout. We loved hearing about your story, how you meld wine and tech, online classes, food and wine pairings, and we know you prefer cheese after yes. dinner. That's right. And Tanisha, I can't wait. Someday we're going to go to one of your favorite wine bars in Paris. We're going to have a glass yes. of wine and some cheese, maybe Comte or yes. <laughs> something like that. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. And I can't wait for that. So thank it's, you. It's I love chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochenta, hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. 
Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Our sound editor is Luis Raul Lopez Levi. Our theme was done by Gabriel Dalmaso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram and check out ochintastudio.com for full transcripts of this and every episode of the show. See you next week. Have you been dreaming of sitting in a wine bar in Paris again? Well, why not purchase the ebook 75 in the 75? 75 wine bars to visit in Paris. All of my wine bar recommendations and pictures in one place. Tons of photos of the City of Light. Classic or natural wines, big euros or centimes. We've got all tastes covered in this wine guide. For purchase, visit my website, www.girlmeetsglass.com and select 75. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Five in the 75 Wine Guide.